David and Goliath, David and Goliath, David and Goliath, David and Goliath. <laughs> Welcome back to These Are the Words. I'm Eric Grun. Not important, but ah, I got a lovely song for you by Gaia Sanskrit. And it is a.、Um, A mantra to Vak to to Saraswati to Saraswati. Saraswati is the goddess of knowledge and education, and the goddess of speech, the power of speech, the confident voice. Brought to you by Saraswati. <laughs> oh man. We just came back from、uh, Sarusanga with Sri Lagor Hari Das and the gang, the the Grace Place, Sri Lagor Hari Das's Grace Place, and I'm feeling a little bit toasty. <laughs> yeah, that's what you get when you chant the Maha Mantra, Hari Nama, Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hari Hari, Hari Rama, Hari Rama, Rama Rama, Hari Hari. With real, actual devotees, <laughs> real devotees. Anyway, I'm gonna get to、uh, struggle. The struggle for the birthright. The next continuation,、uh, next part of chapter four, which is called "Israel asks for a king." Israel asks for a king. For a king, it is important to note that from God's perspective, Israel does not have an inherent right to be free. Their freedom is a privilege under God, and is given only when they are obedient to His <coughs> to His law. Excuse me, <coughs> and refuse to follow other gods. This is as true today as it was in biblical days. The people of Israel finally began to recognize this in the days of Samuel. After all, in the three centuries of their existence, since the days of Joshua, Joshua, the people had spent over a third of that time under the wooden yoke of foreign domination. Yet. Instead of deciding once and for all to remain obedient to the divine law, they reasoned that God was too strict for them. They decided that they really did not want to be ruled by God, 
for he seemed to be a tyrant to them. They needed to be ruled, they thought, by a man who was more like them, one who would be more tolerant of their sin, one who would not put them into captivity every time they began to worship other gods. So they came to Samuel, Samuel, and asked for a change of government. 1 Samuel 8, 4-7 says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And, and they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The people did not understand that there is no freedom apart from God, and there is no true justice or mercy in the land apart from the divine law. They thought that men could substitute for God, and that men would be more just and more merciful than God. So God gave them Saul to be their king. He was the best in the land, but he became Israel's oppressor little better than the foreign kings who had put Israel into bondage. So now, instead of being ruled by foreign oppressors, they were ruled by their own Israelite oppressor. Saul reigned 40 years, and then David reigned another 40 years. When David died... His son Solomon ruled another 40 years, and during his reign, the great temple was built. The Ark of the Covenant had found a, a home once again, and God placed his name upon Jerusalem, where God establishes his name. The divine law says in Deuteronomy 16 that the only lawful place where one can keep the feast days is at the place where God has put his name. It says nothing about any particular location because God knew that he would change the location of his name from time to time. Deuteronomy 16, 1-2 speaks about the place where the people were to observe the Passover. Observe the month of Abib and celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to establish his name. You are not allowed to sacrifice the Passover in any of your towns which the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. We find the same is true with Pentecost, called the Feast of Weeks in the Law. Deuteronomy 16, 10, 11 says, Then you shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks, to the Lord your God, in the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. Finally, the same is true with the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles. For we read in Deuteronomy 16.13, You shall celebrate the Feast of Booths seven days after you have gathered in from your threshing floor and your wine vat. 
seven days you shall celebrate a feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses. God first placed his name in Shiloh, where Joshua set up the tabernacle of Moses within the territory of his own tribe of Ephraim. But because the priesthood of that place, Eli's priesthood, became corrupt, God removed his name and the ark from that place and moved it to Jerusalem in the days of Solomon. Psalm 78 tells of this, For they provoked him with their high places and aroused his jealousy with their graven images. When God heard, he was filled with wrath and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he abandoned the dwelling place at Shiloh, the tent which he had pitched among men. He also rejected the tent of Joseph and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim but chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth which he has founded forever. So we see that God placed, first placed his name at Shiloh, but later abandoned that location because of its corrupt priests. The Ark of the Covenant later was placed in the new temple that Solomon built in Jerusalem under a new dynasty of priests who were of the family of Zadok, 1 Kings 2, 35 This means that God established his name in a new location, Jerusalem. But even this place was not the final place where he would place his name, for Jerusalem too became corrupted, and God's presence left the place that place as well. Jeremiah told the people of Judah and Jerusalem that because they had continually violated the divine law, God would forsake Solomon's temple and destroy it. After listing the reasons for this, Jeremiah 7, 12 through 16 says, But go now to my place, which is in Shiloh, which was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore I will do to the house which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to the place which I gave you and your fathers, as I did to Shiloh, and I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brothers, all the offspring of Ephraim. As for you, do not pray to this people for this people. And do not lift up cry or prayer for them, and do not intercede with me, for I do not hear you. This sentence upon Jerusalem was repeated in Jeremiah 26, 4-6, where we read, And you will say to them, Thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me, to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I have been sending to you again and again, but you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and this city I will make a curse to all the nations of the earth. The people did not repent. In fact, the priests condemned the prophet to death, Jeremiah 26.11, and would have killed him as a false prophet. But the people and the princes saved the prophet's life, 26.16. The word of the Lord through Jeremiah was not popular theology, neither in his day nor in ours. 
And so God has indeed made Jerusalem a curse to all the nations of the earth, quote-unquote. This is virtually the opposite of the Abrahamic promise, where, this, where his seed would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. When Jeremiah received this word, it was God's verdict being rendered in the courts of heaven. From this point on, Jeremiah was not allowed to pray that judgment might be averted or that God's name might remain in Jerusalem. Even repentance could not set aside the judgment of God. Once the verdict had been handed down, from this time on, Jeremiah had to pray in a different manner. He could only pray that the judgment might be lessened by repentance, but not canceled. Jeremiah himself did not see God's glory depart from the temple. This vision was given to Ezekiel. We read in Ezekiel 10:4, 18 and 19 say, Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the temple, and the temple was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim, the cherubim. When the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and rose up from the earth in my sight with the wheels beside them. And they stood still at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the, of the God of Israel hovered over them. The final mention of the departure of God's glory is found in Ezekiel 11.23, which says, And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city, which stood over the mountain which is east of the city. The mountain where the glory went was the Mount of Olives, situated east of Jerusalem. The glory departed no further than the Mount of Olives at that time, because Jesus was not yet to come, was yet to come. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. When he was born about 600 years later, he lived, he died on the cross, and he rose again from the dead. Then he taught the disciples for 40 days before finally ascending on the 40th day, Acts 1 to 3. Or Acts 1 3. At that point, Jesus brought his disciples to the Mount of Olives and ascended to heaven, Acts 1 12 says of the disciples. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. That glory was last seen in the days of Ezekiel on the top of the Mount of Olives in a partial removal from Jerusalem. Jesus' ascension to heaven from the Mount of Olives completed that departure. The glory had now fully departed from the old city of Jerusalem. Ten days later, the glory returned on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.1. But this time it did not fill the second temple, but rather it filled the 120 disciples in the upper room. They were filled with the Spirit, and the glory of God appeared as tongues of fire upon their heads. The glory of God had found a new location. God had chosen a new place in which to place His name. This is confirmed in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? And again we read in Revelations 22, 4, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be upon their foreheads. 
the progression is clear. Then, where God has chosen to place his name, he first placed his name at Shiloh, then at Jerusalem, and now in the Christian believers, who are the temple of God. If any man attempts to keep a feast in any other location than where he has placed his name, he is being unlawful. Many Christians today travel to the old city of Jerusalem for various feast days, thinking that God's glory is soon to return to that old city. They do not understand that the glory departed from that place even as it departed from Shiloh. Ichabod, quote-unquote Ichabod, has been written on that place, even as it was written on the place called Shiloh. 1 Samuel 4.21 God said through Jeremiah that he would make the old Jerusalem a curse to all families of the earth. If someone wants to find the city of blessing, of blessing, he must find the new Jerusalem. That city is not the old city. The new Jerusalem, like its temple, is made of people, not wood and stone. The old Jerusalem has become a cursed city, not cursed by men, but under God's curse. Jeremiah 26.6 quoted earlier. Worse yet, those who go to the old Jerusalem in an attempt to keep the feast may be violating the divine law. For the feast is not to be kept in any other location other than the place where he has placed his name. If anyone says, I went to Jerusalem to keep the feast, he may be violating the divine law. However, it is not a sin simply to go to Jerusalem or to any other location. At the time of the feasts, it should be clear, though, that one does not keep the feast by going to some geographical location on earth. The feast of Passover must be kept in one's own temple by faith, for one is justified by faith in the blood of the only Lamb of God who can take away sin. The feast of Pentecost must also be kept in one's own temple by being filled with the Spirit, even as we see in Acts 2. The Feast of Tabernacles, Boots, must also be kept in one's own temple by being changed fully into his likeness and image, a bodily change into the immortal, incorruptible body, quote-unquote the house, which is currently reserved for us in the heavens. 2 Corinthians 5, 1-4 For a complete study of this, see the laws of the second coming. Some people believe that the glory of God is going to be manifested in Jerusalem. This is contradicted by Jeremiah 7.14. If God's glory never returned to Shiloh, then it will never return to Jerusalem. Quote-unquote Ichabod has been written on both cities. The glory has found a new resting place in a new Jerusalem temple made of living stones. This was the desire of God from the beginning. This will be discussed more thoroughly in chapter 8. Until next time, next chapter is chapter 5, The Captivities of Judah.
Jaya Ma, Jaya Ma.